I know Judge Dillon and Judge uh, Tyson uh, say that based on the verified complaint that the affidavit was just, the untimely affidavit could have been tossed and was harmless, but that's not exactly correct. Uh, we disagree with them on that point. Number one, it's clear from the filing of the plaintiff in the record that the only document they relied on was the affidavit. Uh, if you look at the motion, and, or look at the, the, well, first of all, the motion didn't cite the affidavit, but the brief in support of only cites the affidavit. That's what's discussed at the hearing. Um, second, uh, they could not have gotten summary judgment and, and determined the amount without the affidavit. Uh, the original complaint, uh, it's on the record pages three and five, says that the, the damages demanded was $65,000. The affidavit was used to determine that uh, for, for entry of a $90,000 judgment. Um, at the time the complaint uh, was filed, the premises had not been relet, and so the damages could not have been calculated at the time of the complaint. Um, and then finally, the affidavit was used to, to attempt to argue that they had mitigated their damages. Uh, and again, hadn't been relet yet. What we know from the affidavit is that uh, when they finally re-rented it, uh, they only rented it for 20% of what they had rented it to, to my clients. I think the rent went from 4,500 a month to 1,000 a month. Uh, for their, their mitigation issue, uh, they attach one Craigslist post, and the entry for this says it expired and is dated after the date of the complaint. I think it's dated in late. Uh, it's, it looked like it was dated maybe a week or two after the complaint. So those were all facts that the trial judge relied on in order to grant summary judgment on the complaint. And so with all due respect to, to Judge Dillon and Tyson, I think they... Uh, did not note those key facts that the summary judgment could not have been granted without the affidavit, which again brings back into focus untimely affidavit filed to support a motion against a pro se party, um, as it were. Um, and so again, the, 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 it's one thing if you have a party coming in citing <clears throat> the amended verified or the verified complaint and the affidavit, and the court looked at both of them and said, okay, I can just rely on this complaint. I don't need to rely on the affidavit. That's not what happened here. The complaint uh, was not relied on, and as I've shown, uh, could not have standing alone supported summary judgment. Um, and again, I mentioned the fact that, you know, that there was a uh, piercing claim as well. I've also talked about the fact that um, the rule violation in dealing with the counterclaim uh, violated the rules. And then the last thing I'll mention is for, well, there were, there were a couple other smaller things that Judge Jackson noted, and I mean, those, to me, those aren't huge issues. I mean, if you're a trial judge and you see five or six potential rules violations, I mean, that should have caught the attention. But I don't know that, you know, failure to consult about the date of the hearing would be grounds to, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know that that in and of itself should have caused her to grant a short continuance. But the last thing I'll mention, and, and I personally don't know the answer to it, but you know, we had a situation where there was a case management order that set certain deadlines, and it set the dispositive motion deadline for December 1st, 2020. That, that date came and went with no party asking for a dispositive motion to be heard. So the, the CMO says you it had to be 
uh, filed within 60 days, heard within 30 days. That did not happen in this case under the CMO. Then the court comes in and, and extends the trial date in, Jan in January of 2021 due to COVID. So the parties did not ask for the extension. The court extends it. Nothing in that order extended any of the expired dates. So then you have a situation where uh, the plaintiff files their uh, motion uh, six, on the 60th day before the trial, but there's just nothing clear in the, in the local rules that revives those expired dates. I don't know the answer to it. It's just something that's kind of quirky in this case, but if, but if you're the trial judge and you've got a pro se party talking about notice and you know, I didn't get notice of this or I'd like a short continuance, if you step back and start looking at the dates and the timelines and you see things like, you know, the plaintiff uh, waited three months after the original CMO to serve discovery, the plaintiff did not reach out to, to the old lawyer or the pro se party for five months about discovery. And I get waiting around the holidays or waiting because of the health issue in December, but why wouldn't the plaintiff reach out right after the lawyer withdrew and say, hey, pro se party, let me know when you've got a new lawyer. And oh, by the way, we've got these outstanding discovery issues. Uh, admittedly, nothing was communicated for three and a half months until after the motion for summary judgment was filed and we were less than 10 days before the hearing. And so, and no motion to compel was filed. Uh, and so again, if you're the trial judge and you're looking at the totality of the case, a short continuance here for a party that had a lawyer, lost it, um, and, and appears to want to defend themselves in this should have been granted. And so that's a separate basis that the court could, you know, remand uh, and vacate the order. Uh, but again, we believe that uh, for the basis in Judge Dillon's uh, concurring opinion, that, that also gives us basis for a remand. And I appreciate your time. Thank you, counsel. Rebuttal. Thank you, Chief Justice. I want to touch on the defendant's position about the summary judgment being filed in violation of the case management order. This was an argument that was made by Mr. Ibaka to the trial court, and it was one that was expressly refuted by the trial court. The uh, trial court made an administrative amendment to the case management order when it changed the trial date from fe February 2021 to June 2021. It is standard practice in Mecklenburg County that when the trial date is extended by an administrative amendment to the case management order issued by the trial court, that that extends the dispositive motions deadline. If you take a look at the case management order that was issued by the court, there is absolutely nothing in that order that says the dispositive motions deadline tracks the initial date set forth in the case management order. It's simply not there. There was absolutely no violation there, um, neither in the case management order or the, the relevant Mecklenburg County local rule of court. Um, as far as defendant's position about the affidavit and its untimeliness, again, there was no prejudicial error here. The, the affidavit was not needed. The defendants had admitted their breaches of the lease. Uh, the damages were set forth in the complaint. 
And it wasn't the defendant's burden to establish this defense of fa failure to mitigate. If anything, the allegation that the premises were relet, that was not prejudicial because it only served to reduce damages. Thank you, counsel. Thank you. Thank you both. Clerk.